Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Hope for Heroes, Texas. This is Brad Cornell, and we're serving those who serve us. If you haven't joined us before, Hope for Heroes, Texas, what we do is bring in first responders from around Texas. And yes, we bring them into the Bevy Hotel, give them a beautiful night at the Bevy Hotel. We give them a gift card to spend right here in Bernie, Texas, and they have an incredible time. And of course, it's all in the greeting. Well, on today's episode, we have got a fantastic first responder that's going to be sharing some great stories, because that's what we do here. Under the weight of the badge. Glad you joined us. You've seen it all in his 15 years. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Brad Cornell here on Hope for Heroes. Hey, another podcast today, the Weight of the Badge podcast, and I've got another incredible officer that I'm going to be talking with today. But you know what? If you go to HopeForHeroesTX.org, check out exactly what we do because our heroes are out there protecting us and we want to do something for them. So if you ever get near Bernie, Texas, and you're going to find out just how incredible it is. So go on our website, put your name and your your email address in there, your phone number. Not that I'm going to call you, but I'm going to send you a text and let you know when exactly we're going to have another event at the Bevy Hotel right here in Bernie, Texas. But you know, we're so blessed to have these guys and ladies out there protecting us, our first responders. We don't realize sometimes just how incredible it is and what they do. They've been called to do what they do. It's not about making money. It's about saving lives and about helping people. Because I'll tell you what, folks, if you're not smart enough to figure out when you're running out and they're running in that they're heroes, then you got a problem. So you know how I am about this. You know how excited I get about our our heroes and how special they are. And uh, no matter where I'm at, I'm telling people, look at our first responders and our officers that are out there that are protecting us show them some respect no matter what just give them a shake their hand say hi you know just um, let them know how much you care but like today today on the program i've got a fantastic officer i should say just officer he does some has done some amazing things when you look back at his 20 years he's been on the police force at austin pd and um you know, when I when I got to to talk with him and had some people tell me about him, he has served in so many different um, capacities. You know, he's not only been an officer, and he's not only and he's been patrol and deal with, dealing with the the drug dealers and prostitution at the street level. Um, he's done hostage negotiations. Um, he's a detective, of course. <laughs> It's amazing, you know, when these guys are out there doing what they do, they're not looking for any recognition, but they keep getting the better and the more things they do. They, of course, just keep getting more and more promotions. And, of course, he was detective. Then he was in the special crimes unit and on safe streets, supervising the street narcotics. I mean, it is so exciting to listen to somebody that has is in the mix of all this stuff. You know, guys, we're just civilians out here, especially me. And when they put the yellow tape up, we don't know what happens after that. So today I've got such a special, special guest on. Um, he is a lieutenant in the Special Investigations Unit. And I just want to get some information from him like I always do and find out just what we don't realize happens. So today on Hope for Heroes, the Weight of the Badge podcast, a guy that has been carrying the weight of the badge for 20 years in uh it'll be this next month or two he'll be his 20 years in help me welcome today shane streepy from austin texas how are you sir i'm doing well thank you for having me on well man thank you for coming on so uh we're excited that you're with us today and i said i could it'd take another 15 minutes to go through everything you've done in the last 20 years <laughs> so i really do appreciate you coming on today and hey as we start this program off this uh, podcast how did you decide you wanted to become an officer so, as you said, I've been with the department for almost 20 years. So, if you go back to the early 2000s, and we're talking about 2001, 2002, uh, one of the most impactful 
things that happened in the world at that time was 9-11. So prior to that, I'd been going to college, uh, trying to get my business degree. And I had uh, visions of getting into the corporate world. Uh, and I hate to say it, you know, reflecting on it, but I wanted to make a lot of money and make a good life for myself. Well, as soon as 9-11 happened, I had a mindset shift and decided that I needed to do something more uh, than just make money. I wanted to do something more than just me. Um, so I applied to a couple different departments. Uh, at the same time, I had a best friend that was going through a, a local police department. We'd talk about what a great time he was having and, and all the good stuff that was occurring. So uh, Austin PD was the first department to follow through with the process. And, and I landed there in June of, uh, or I'm sorry, December of 2002. Oh, wow. Did you, are you from Texas originally? I am from Texas. Oh, okay, great. So you, you applied and they uh, accepted you. And so what did you think when you, when you kind of got into it and you started going, is it, was it something you said, man, that was fantastic. Or have you said, did you say, oh man, I'm here. I don't know if this is good or bad. I mean, what was your, no, I, I, uh, immediately, you know, entering the Academy and going through it and, and graduating, becoming a police officer. I, I, there's a, there's a joke. I still tell with some of my old shift mates, I, I would tell people I would do this job for free. Oh, wow. That's how much I enjoyed it. I would work two nights a week overtime uh, for our sister shift. And I only did it because I enjoyed being out on the street and, and being a police officer. The money meant nothing to me at that point. Wow. So you just excited about putting your life on the line for others. Yep. I'll tell you what, yep. what a blessing you are. I'll tell you, Shane, that's, that's what we don't understand sometimes out here that, uh, what you guys do to, to, and, and love what you do. You love doing what you do. So you've done all, give me kind of a rundown. I know we talked before, but you've done, you started off as patrol and you've kind of just kept going and going and going, haven't you? Yeah. So I started off on patrol, uh, did four years on a night shift, uh, quickly found on patrol that I really enjoyed the proactive nature of policing, the, uh, the investigative part of it. And so that kind of led me into the organized crime world. Uh, I was able to go to a street level unit for about five years that, like you said, worked on drugs, prostitution, violent crime in our specific area. And from that point uh, into the organized crime division, and I've spent time in multiple different units. You know, what's amazing is when we sit here, because I want to talk about the organized crime side, because you know, when you just got saying that, you'd think we were sitting in New York. You know, it's like, you know, so when you talk about all the, the street crimes and organized, the, uh, organized crime and the and the prostitution and all the drugs and all that, I mean, it's it's overwhelming for us to realize just, you know, how big our city or Austin sounds as far as, I mean, as small as it is, all these things happening. So with all the units you've been in, what's been the most interesting or the one that you've really... So the one into? I enjoyed, the one I enjoyed the most was where I spent a lot of time, I think I spent about four to five years there. It was in our gang unit, which was also attached to the FBI uh, Safe Streets Task Force. Mm -hmm. So what that means is we were APD officers or detectives, but we were deputized as FBI special agents. And we actually worked out of the FBI building, developed a lot of great relationships with them. And we worked cases hand in hand with each other. So we were able to do a lot of good work, uh, because in theory, you are working with the FBI and you have a lot more resources than a local department can give you. Yes. How do you, how do you, um, how long does it usually take to, I'm sure they're all different, of course, but how to develop a case or to, to bring down a gang that's involved in, uh, in organized crime? Do you have to, do you really, of course, you know, we're so used to watching the TV shows, you know, 
Uh, so people right. don't realize just do you have to get in and like be one of them type thing or is it what what's it like so i think locally in austin and i can't speak for other bigger cities but in austin there could be a misconception that people are actually embedded with an organization and it's a long-term undercover type of operation that doesn't happen here in austin okay. uh, what does happen is we rely on a lot of investigative resources we rely on using a lot of uh, informants and uh, we're able to manage cases that way. Uh, it's very dangerous to be in a long-term undercover role uh, that extends months and months and months. So uh, we figured out other ways to, to accomplish our mission without having to do that. Uh, I think when you're talking about long-term cases, uh, one case sticks out in my mind the most. Uh, it took us about two years to solve. Oh, wow. Uh, December of 2015, a young 16-year-old uh, juvenile was reported as a runaway uh about three weeks later uh a young father and his son were in a, a creek area with a new metal detector they had bought for christmas while they're going through the, the the field with this metal detector they stumbled across this juvenile's body uh it had been badly decomposed uh, skeletal remains so it was a real whodunit from the beginning our apd homicide unit uh one of the best in the nation uh took a look at it they just didn't have any in, they didn't have the ability to move forward with it. So they called the gang unit uh, at the time, which was myself and uh, my partner. And we went up and had a briefing with them. And from that moment, we enlisted the FBI to assist. And over a two-year period, we were able to work various informants. Uh, we went all over Central Texas. We went as far as East Texas to prisons to talk to people. We used a bunch of different electronic uh, surveillance techniques that I can't really get into. Mm -hmm. Um, but in the end, we were able to uh, we were able to arrest eight people uh, for the murder of this of this child. And all it really was was they were all part of a gang. There was a dispute, and uh, several of the gang members decided they were going to discipline this young child uh, juvenile. They took him out to a field, shot him in the head, burned his body, and left him out there to rot. Wow. And so we focused all of our efforts for about a two year period to bring justice to that family. And that's one of the most uh, probably one of the most the biggest accomplishments that my partner and I have talked about at our, at our at, at, in this career. Oh, my word. I can imagine. Yeah. And what a, a two years. I mean, it's when we think about it, what it takes to do something like that. It, and it doesn't doesn't it happen also just the smallest little bit of evidence you guys chase down as something big happens. Yep. Can't, uh, can't leave any stone unturned is our motto, right? So uh, it doesn't matter how small it is and it, you don't know what, what it is until you find it, but you have to track down everything, especially when you're dealing with somebody who's been murdered, right? Yes. Um, and in this case, I really, I, I really felt more connected to it because he was a 16-year-old kid, right? That, okay, he was part of a gang, but if you judged all of us for what we did when we were 16 years old, probably wouldn't be sitting here talking <laughs> to each other, problem, right? Right, yes. And so... You know, I felt like over that two-year period, um, you know, because of who he was, I feel like the attention kind of lessened from the public just because of, you know, it wasn't a high profile, wasn't a, you know, I don't, it just wasn't a high profile in the public's mind after, you know, time it went by. And yeah. my partner and I and my FBI partner, uh, one of the greatest people I ever met, we worked and worked and worked nonstop, you know, 15, 16-hour days two years to get to the, the point where to where we got mm. um, unfortunately there's still one outstanding suspect who had fled the country 
and uh, we're still trying to locate him. Uh, but the other eight have been sentenced to federal prison, and I think some have already gotten out because their parts were more about the drug conspiracy that we tied into it. Uh, but the main uh, murder suspects, the leader of the gang got 30 years in prison. Uh, the shooter got 20, and then another person that was involved got 10. Lord knows it ain't no easy task Keeping us safe under the weight of the bag Folks, if you haven't been to a Hope for Heroes greeting, you're probably wondering what it's all about. What we do is get an officer and their family from around the state of Texas. They come into town. They have a free room here at the Bevy Hotel. They know they're getting that, and they're going to get a gift card for the town. They pull in, but they have no idea when they pull up to the front lobby that inside that lobby is a ton of people just waiting for them. The reason is, is we care so much about what our heroes do and how special they are that when they walk in that lobby, oh my word, they get blasted with how much we love them, how special they are. And of course, the people that are showing up, they show up at 9.30 in the morning, get some breakfast tacos and some coffee and just fellowship until the officers get there. And it's an experience that you're not going to want to miss. Let's get back to our hero carrying the weight of the badge. Kids praying by his bed. He said, I'm gonna be alright. Wow. So as you as you worked that, that was one of your favorite uh, was that one of your favorite units to work was organized crime or I know you were well, also didn't you also do hostage negotiation? I, I did. I was a negotiator as an officer for about six years. Uh that's kind of an ancillary assignment. So, you know, we would do our normal duties at work and then we got the call to become, you know, to go out to the field to negotiate with our special operations team. We would fall into that role. Uh, I enjoyed that because I really learned how to talk to people. Um, that, that training and, and actually applying it as a negotiator really taught me how to communicate better with people, which just helped me become a better officer in general. Yeah. I need to take that class just for my wife. <laughs> negotiation with her yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. no i just say yes and it's over so whatever yeah. but uh yeah. well you know um shane i think we forget out there now each one of these different um positions that you continue to hold is there training for each one of them i mean it's not you just you go to one to like hostage negotiation course there's got to be some training and the same with with organized crime or do you just kind of you learn it you've been learning on the streets and it's just part of what you guys all do so you know, going to the negotiator, there's some very formalized training. There's a basic instructor or a basic course, 40 hours, I think it used to be. And then you go to an advanced one. And then obviously a lot of the training is the on the job training. It's, mm. it's the actually being there with a mentor or a senior officer that's kind of guiding you through it. As far as the organized crime stuff, that's a very complicated world because you're, you're operating with a lot of freedom. Uh, you're operating in plain clothes. You're not wearing a uniform every day. Uh, you're, you know, you have to be very trusted by your supervisors to go out and do the right thing because you're dealing with drugs and money and informants. Yes. And so there is a training component. I actually was fortunate to uh, put on the organized crime school for about three years. Uh, it, it's a 40 it's a hour school. And I was able to kind of coordinate that and bring in all the training resources. Um, but a lot of that training, too, is getting with the mentor or a senior officer and and having them, you know, show you the ropes. And show you the pitfalls. And if you don't do this, this may happen. And and uh, really on the job. And so, it, it I think it's a good it's a good way. Um, it's a good way to do it. Yeah. So. Well, when you're uh, when you're doing the different negotiations, or you're in the organized crime, or whatever, which, whichever one you're in, what like is it different now than it was ten years ago? I mean, do you see a lot of difference in what you're doing now 
because of electronics and because of all the surveillance things of cell phones and all? Has it changed a lot or is it still at the street level, pretty street level? I would say at the street level, it's still the same. I think the change that you see is the focus on enforcement from the district attorney's perspective or what's acceptable in the public's mind, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a big push that it's been going on for years to legalize drugs, and, and I, that could be a whole nother podcast, right? Yes. But what people, I think, need to understand is that drugs, um, you know, and we're not talking about marijuana. I mean, we're talking about crack and we're talking about heroin and, and, and I don't want to get into the, the discussion, but there is a, a big component of that, that, that drives criminal activity. Yeah. So at the street level, I think it's the same. I think when you get to the higher levels, there's complexities with, you know, as you said, uh, technology, right? 2007, we didn't have iPhones or we just started. Now we have apps and iPhones and all sorts of things that, that can help kind of, keep investigators at bay. Right. Um, but in the same sense, we as investigators and law enforcement have also developed our own, uh, technology that's helped us. Right. Sure. So, well, you know, and that's what I think people need to understand is, is that, you know, the people we need to be asking are the people that are on the streets dealing with the drugs and seeing what the drugs do. And, you know, for this high level of civilians, as we set up at the top of the top shelf, not even engaged in what's going on. And we said, oh, yeah, just, you know, I got a good friend of mine and he's on heroin. And heck, let, why don't we just go ahead and, uh, you know, uh, legalize all this stuff? And there'll be no problems. The heck, there won't be. Look well, what's happening you, when uh, it's not. Well, I'll tell you the first dead body that I ever saw in my life was as a police officer. And I was probably six months out of the police academy, went to the house, and it was a a, a male subject who still had a needle in his arm, and he had overdosed from heroin. Oh, right. Yeah. Dead body I ever saw. And, you know, you can't tell me that, that a law, uh, you know, there is a law in place, but is a law being there or not going to help, you know, he's going to get the heroin and, and he used it and he died. Um, do we want to just open up the floodgates? I don't know. Yeah, um, no, I don't. I mean, I'm a hundred percent against it. Yeah, I, I mean, I yeah. just, I mean, I just see what's fentanyl. I mean, look what's going on yep. with fentanyl. I mean, it's just all these drugs coming in and whenever you alter the brain, it's all different for everybody. I don't even marijuana. I know some nut cases on that. They smoke that all the time. And go, right. I think they're fried, but uh, not that everybody is. But again, I just think that um, you guys at the street level, and I said the heroes out there working the streets, the guys out there with, you know, going plain clothes. Like I said, sometimes we just don't realize what you all do and what heroes you are. I mean, I just want to tell you, Shane, I, uh, I'm i just so impressed and so blessed that we know you and that Hope for Heroes is part of just supporting you guys. And like I said, we just want you to know how much we care and what you mean to us. That, uh, you know, there's 99% of the people out here that, that really do care and really do love you guys. But all the craziness going on. So, well, especially in Austin, you've got some kind of crazy DAs up there that aren't uh, aren't really paying attention. Or <laughs> I should, I'm being nice. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, of course, Ken Cassidy, a good friend of both of ours, um, is right in the middle of that with the officers and the, being the Police Officer Association president. But um, right. what would you like people to know now? Like, you know, here you are. You've been on the force for 20 years. You're obviously one sharp character, man. I mean, you're you're awesome. I just love the your wisdom. And you worked all these different things. What would you like people to know that just need to know about our heroes that are out there working the streets or the high level organized crimes or whatever they're doing. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, if I had the ability to, to spread that message or I, I think it's just really reinforcing to the public that, you know, there are people, men and women that 
continue every day to, to, to put on their uniforms or, or put on whatever it is they are and go to work and they enjoy this and they're driven and this is their calling. And I don't think, you know, all of the, the interference that happens in the world, especially in the last couple of years, I, I don't think it's changed the, the root of what we do that we would, that this is a calling for us. Yes. Right. And people will, you know, I said, people, the officers will go to the ends of the earth to help people to solve crimes, to bring, you know, justice to victims, uh, whatever it takes. And we're going to keep doing that, uh, no matter what happens. And we just really appreciate people like yourself and the community that, that does show that support. Uh, and we just really appreciate it. Well, I know you're in a, you're in a unit now that's really, uh, it's got to be a challenge, but it's needed. And you actually do investigate any officers that are doing something that they shouldn't be doing, which people don't realize, you know, you guys do hold each other accountable. I mean, I've seen some we do, things. And I'm, yep, we do. And I'm glad you brought that up on, um, you know, I'm, I'm currently the, the lieutenant over our special investigations unit. And we are responsible for investigating alleged acts of misconduct by officers. We investigate all officer involved shootings. We work with the district attorney's office. And I would also want people to know uh, that there's, and we've heard this before, but nobody uh, wants a bad cop here more than a, than a good police officer. And if somebody's, you know, engaged in misconduct, we'll hold them accountable and this department will, will handle it accordingly. Um, and we do, uh, we hold each other accountable to very, very high standards. And that's true. I mean, I've witnessed that because I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm on the inside, but I pay attention to what's going on. And, you know, you guys investigate your own a heck of a lot more than the outside world investigates as civilians. <laughs> you know, I mean, you guys, when there's a complaint, I know it, you take it very, very serious. And ladies and gentlemen, we need to know that, you know, we yep. need to understand that this, these heroes, they don't want to get trashed by some guy doing bad or some lady or, or just treating the public like they shouldn't. And they do investigate it. And so that's yep. why we've got to just stand strong behind them. I mean, they need us. They need us. Um, they carry the weight of the badge to protect us. But doggone it, Shane, I just want to thank you, man, that you're out there investigating, you know, all the things. And I'm not saying there's a, you know, anything bad about any officers, of course, because, but whenever somebody makes a mistake, it's one thing making a mistake at 16, another one at, you know, 46 or 36 or whatever the so thank you for what you do and I, I just want to tell you that um, this city of course Bernie and the people of Hope for Heroes that are the support Hope for Heroes man we pray for you guys every day we care about what you're doing we want you to know we do love you I mean you are heroes and without you in this United States of America or the world we'd be in big trouble so uh, I just want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to come on here and speak with us and I want to have you on again I know you've got stories that are just unbelievable and um i thank you for what you do every day what is how many years you think you're going to put in you are you 20 uh, years now are you yeah 20 years I, I feel like you know i'll definitely be here another three years i, I i'd like to stay here until maybe 27 28 years uh yeah. really just depends on on how it goes you know yeah well so. don't don't forget about just taking time you spend a lot of time there don't forget to take time for yourself because yep. uh, that that badge you carry keeps getting heavier as this world keeps getting crazier so, you know, it's funny you bring that up. Um, I know you have to get going. But, oh, you do. Uh, we, I was talking to somebody yesterday and, you know, the plus side of everything I described today about all the units I've, you know, been able to work with and all the hard work and all the late hours I've spent with my partners and our teams. Um, you know, I think there is a little bit of uh, 
downside to your personal life because I think you do sacrifice some of that. Um, and so, you know, it's trying to find that right balance. And I really do like what you just said. Just remember, you know, 27, 28, remember to take time for yourself. So I appreciate that because we all need that, that uh, reminder every so often. Yeah, you so, know, and, and when we have a Hope for Heroes event, it's really the people out here, they come, and there's 80, sometimes 100 or more people come to this, to the events. Um, and what, what we really notice though, is you guys are just out, you're regular people. I mean, you do an amazing re- irregular job, but once you look at, you look at you on the street, they, you can't pick out a cop unless he has a uniform on, you wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. And so you, you're absolutely right. And that's what, I mean, I do, you're, you you can change lives when you're out there just being casual and taking it easy. Cause you can sure, you know, the way you treat people is really important. So, yep. well, Shane, again, I thank you so much, Shane Streepy. Uh, Lieutenant Special Investigations Unit, Austin PD. It's a blessing to have you on the Way to the Badge podcast today, and we're looking forward to uh, working with you and talking with you more in the future. So thank you, Absolutely. sir. Absolutely. I appreciate you and everything you do. All right. Thank you, Shane. Thank we'll you. talk to you again soon. Yes, sir. Hey, so glad you joined me today. Now you're going to want to follow us because we've got some upcoming episodes that you're not going to want to miss. See you then. Oh, the badge.